As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back into Football and Grits, your SEC-centric podcast here on The Athletic. It's Tuesday. That means I'm your host, Aaron Suttles. That's right. It's a subscriber participation day here on the podcast where you guys ask the questions and I try my best to give the answers. And I tell you what, you're making it more and more difficult because you guys are firing away great questions and it's becoming more difficult to pick those questions. So make sure you keep those questions coming. Before we dig into it, Just a favor from me to you, please subscribe, rate, and review Football and Grits to help us get the podcast out to new listeners. The more that you guys give us positive ratings and more feedback, the more easily new listeners can find the podcast, and that's what we want to do uh, because you guys have some great questions and we want some, some great interaction here on the podcast So make sure that you're doing that wherever you're getting your podcast. We really appreciate it. Again, as I mentioned, so many good questions this week. It was was difficult to choose uh, which ones I was going to tackle. But I appreciate you guys putting so much thought into the questions because they are really good. You're not just uh, sitting away passively typing away. You you actually put some thought into it, which makes it difficult just to pick the few that I have to uh, due to time constraints. Uh, But let's get going. We'll go to uh, Dylan K. Ask, does Bo Pelini... Cause LSU to go four and six, even with a potential top twenty-five offense. And are you for firing a defensive coordinator mid-season? Well, given the fact that I cover Alabama and Alabama just had its worst defensive performance of all time last Saturday against Ole Miss, it is a question I've been asked a lot of about firing a defensive coordinator mid-season. So I'll give you my philosophy on that. But first, your question about Bo Pelini and is it is it basically on him that LSU is staring down the barrel? of four and six. Here's where I come down on that. He's definitely not helping. Uh, Bo Pelini is not helping. Is he the root cause? I think he's part of it. But I'm not going to put it all on him. So to answer your question, he's somewhat responsible for it. I mean, it, obviously he's the defensive coordinator. The buck stops with him and LSU has been putrid on defense up, up relative to their standards. I mean, LSU is one of those programs where you can almost – Fill in every year. They're a top, you know, 10, 20 defense every year, especially defensive back. They are DBU. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. LSU is synonymous with DBU, and they have been anything but. 
And so, yeah, he's responsible for that. But I had I had real issues with this LSU team before we saw them on the field this year. And the reason I did is is it's multifaceted. Um, the first is they lost a lot of good players in the draft. And I know LSU recruits at an elite level, like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. So there is a certain um, expectation when you recruit at that level that you just roll the next wave of four- and five-star guys out there. And that you generally don't miss a beat. And that's true most of the time. But LSU had something different, right? I mean, LSU last year, I mean, they just had all the ingredients for the perfect gumbo. I mean, they had it perfect. Every piece of ingredient that makes gumbo great LSU had. And stick with me on this metaphor here. And they lost a lot of that, right? They lost a ton of talent to the NFL. And then they had some guys opt out for this year. So I had question marks before they played their first game. But bigger than that, and people can try to downplay this all they want, it's a major issue, is the fact that your two coordinators are gone. And in a typical college football program like that's elite, you're going to lose coordinators, right? It's a, people want to cr- climb the career ladder. They want to be upwardly mobile. And so you expect for, if you're going to be at a great program, an elite program where you're going to be featured, that's the difference of these elite programs. A lot of great coordinators out there. A lot of great coordinators. The difference when you're at a, when you're a coordinator at an, an elite school, it's basically you're, you're getting, it's like buying that Facebook ad where you promote it so it gets seen by more people, you can just put it on the marketplace, right? And people are going to see it. But when you are when you pay to promote it, it gets seen by more people. That's essentially what it's like when you're a coordinator at one of these elite schools. You get seen by more people because you play more primetime games. You see more games because your team's going to be uh, getting prime slots on television. And people will you know, some people watch to see you win. A lot of people want to watch to see you lose. So your coordinators are more, more well-known. So, so on some level, when you're a program like that, you're going to expect to go through some coordinators. The difference at LSU is that Orgeron had sort of made himself the figurehead coach where he, he sort of he would let his coordinators do their thing, and he was he was the like the CEO guy, right? He's, he's like very much a Dabo Sweeney type coach. Not in terms of personality, just in terms of the way they run things is they get great coordinators and, and they get great coaches and they let them do their thing. Dave Aranda had been there a long time and, and had fielded a lot of great defenses. I saw Alabama go up against that defense every year, and Dave Aranda was damn good at what he did. Really good. Losing him was a big deal. Okay? And then you want to make, you know, uh, you know, talk to Brody Miller, who covers LSU for us. He can go a lot more chapter and verse on this than I can, but there was – a sentiment from some LSU fans that, you know what, we understand that, that Joe Brady was really good, but Steve Ensminger was still the guy doing all this and that. And, and listen, LSU's offense hasn't been a problem, but Joe Brady was a big part of that. And you lose coordinators, it has a cumulative effect on your program. Listen, I cover Alabama, where there was a couple years ago, they lost seven of their ten assistant coaches. Seven of ten. They're losing coordinators like every year. This is the first year they've had – uh, two coordinators back in a long, long time. Over time, that takes a cumulative effect. This is really the first year LSU's been hit hard with it with their coordinator, but it has an effect because, because here's what happens. The reason I say it has a cumulative effect, you lose coordinators and position coaches, well, guess what? When they have time to hire, 
Who do they hire? They hire people from your staff. May have not been assistant coaches on the field. Maybe it was support staff. Maybe it was analysts. What I'm saying is when you lose key pieces, it eats away at the foundation of your program because they take people that they've worked with, that they trust, and it's oftentimes from your program that they just left. So I, I just thought LSU, you know, when we were asked on the um, here at The Athletic to predict the, the SEC in terms of the SEC West, the SEC East, I didn't have LSU second. I just thought they had some issues this year. And another big factor, and you can't really put a metric on it because there's no way to measure it, but LSU had a target on its back. I mean, they beat they beat people bad last year. They're the defending national champs. And even sitting here at one and two right now, you don't think it you don't think it means anything to Florida to beat LSU? Sure it does. You don't think South Carolina would love to hang an L on LSU? Sure it does. not matter what your record is this year, you're still the defending national champs. And in an opposing head coach, you know, for a middling program can still garner a lot of weight by beating LSU. So I think it's where LSU is right now. They're still viewed as LSU, you know, in the SEC. People are still going to want to beat them. You know, you you want to be able to say, we beat the defending national champs. I don't care what the record is this year. They were defending national champs last year. We beat them. So they're wearing the target of defending national champs. They lost a lot of talent. And that coaching turnover really started to get to them. Great question by Dylan Kay. And, you know, listen, I, I'm started doing the schedule. Starting looking at it, they got Florida this week. I think most of us would say that's potential loss. Really good chance for a loss, given how Florida has played offensively, although Florida's got their defensive struggles as well. That might be a shootout. South Carolina, I think that's a win. Uh, at Auburn, I think there's a really good chance to win that game. Um, Alabama, I think they're going to lose that game. Uh, Arkansas is a, <laughs> a lot trickier game than any was would have thought before the season, but I think they win that. And then I think they close the season with a couple losses. At Texas A&M, I don't have to tell you LSU fans how how sort of heated that rivalry has been the last few years. And Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher would love to put an L on LSU. And Ole Miss, man, that offense, I saw it up close and personal. They're rolling. So um, I, I do think four and six is – you're staring down the barrel of it. Four and six and, and you know five and five maybe. But it's going to be a long season for LSU, something we're really not accustomed to them seeing. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, Duncan S. asked, what did Georgia's fan take, take away from a close loss at Alabama? Meaning, what, do, what should Georgia fans, if, if Georgia loses this week, what's the, what should they take away? Obviously, a win would be extremely cathartic, and a big loss would lead to the old can't-beat-Bama storyline. But if the offense plays well, the run defense is stout, 
but the Bama receivers are just too good. What then? Is Georgia just treading water until the SEC championship? It feels like this game may answer absolutely zero questions about either team. That's sort of where I am on this in terms of I'm not I'm not making this game some huge um, monolithic sort of game of the century thing because I – I, I really not that I don't think it matters. I do think it matters when you play. You want to win, right? And I do think there's a lot of a lot we can learn about either team. But I'm not gonna. I, I'm just not gonna make too much of it because I think these two teams are gonna meet again in the SEC championship game. And I think that game is far more important because that game probably, unless the season goes haywire for these two teams, I think that game probably is for a college football playoff berth. And it's a possibility that the loser of that game could get into the college football playoffs. So say Georgia wins Saturday, runs the table, and then loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game. I think both would get in. Let's say the flip side of that. Let's say Alabama wins on Saturday. They go through their schedule unbeaten. They lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game. I think they get in. So I, I just I don't want to make too much of this game because I think these two teams will be playing at the end of the season for something much bigger. But your question remains, here's where I am on Georgia in this game. And, and feel free to disagree with me, but I, I've I've watched all these recent Alabama-Georgia games. I've been there. I've covered them. The last two times they've played, which would be the, the 2017 National Championship game, and the following season they met up again in the SEC Championship game, Georgia outplayed Alabama. I, I mean, they didn't win the game, but they, for 60 minutes, if you sort of, Wayne, who played better for 60 minutes? Georgia did. But they didn't play better in the fourth quarter of either of those games. They didn't play better. In the, they didn't close. They didn't close. Always be closing. Georgia did not close. But the previous three quarters, Georgia played better football than Alabama. They just didn't win the game. So here's where I am. It's not a physical issue. And I don't. You, that's probably not any um, breaking any news to you. You know how well Georgia's recruited. You know the talent on that roster. They seem to be developing that talent really, really well. So it's not a physical issue of can they beat Alabama. It's mental to me. Are they over that mental hurdle? It's the same question I always have about can Florida beat Georgia? There's a, there's a ta- there, but there, the difference there is there is a legit talent discrepancy between Georgia and Florida. Now, now Florida's closing that, but Georgia's a better team than Florida. But I always say until you get over that mental hurdle, that is so big for some teams, right? And right now that's what's in front of Georgia. It's not that Alabama is leaps and bounds better talent-wise. I think Alabama's a better offense. That's, again, breaking no news. Georgia's a better defense. Again, that's breaking no news. But when you look at the roster in totality, they're pretty even, and Georgia might even lead a little bit when you start doing the, the rankings of, of four- and five-star guys and how, they, how those rosters shape up. Georgia might be better. So it's not a physical issue. It's mental. And I think a lot of it's on Kirby Smart. Let me ask you this. Kirby Smart, I think, showed it's a mental issue to me in the 2018 SEC Championship game, he panicked. He went for it on fourth down on that fake punt. He didn't, he didn't go for it. He fake punt. It was a horrendous call. Now, I understand why he, he wanted to do it. He thought if he got a certain look on it, it might be an easy, cheap first down. He could take the momentum, go down, and win that football game. I understand why he did But let me ask you this. Would he have done that versus any other team not named Alabama? Was, was this an example of Kirby Smart just being aggressive as is, as is his personality? I don't know. I don't watch enough Georgia football for you to tell me. I, I don't get the sense that Kirby's overly aggressive. He seems a little conservative by nature to me as a defensive coach. But 
You, Georgia fans, ask answer that question for me. If if that if the team across from him that day wasn't Alabama, is he is he faking that punt, or does he just think his team's better? He's going to punt it, and they're going to win it anyway. I think he I think he pressed the panic button. I think he freaked out a little bit. So I think it's a little bit of a mental thing with Kirby, but because again, it's not it's not a physical thing. Georgia's damn good, and it's going to be a whale of a football game Saturday night. So, you know, answering Duncan's question. I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of with him. I'm not going to put, I just don't, I'm not going to, whoever wins this game, I'm not crowning them. You know, unless it's, you know, if, if one team absolutely beats the other team down, then that's an emphatic victory you can take a lot from. But if it's a hard fought, hard fought game and one team, you know, wins or pulls one out late or even wins by less than 10 points, I'm just not, I'm not going to put any extra importance on it because I think these two teams are going to meet later in the season with a lot more on the line. So, uh, I'm, obviously, it's a great game for college football. It's one of those scheduled games, helmet games, but uh, I'm not going to make too much of it. But I, I do think this is a good opportunity for Georgia to get over that mental hurdle that I just think is there. I think that exists. Uh, Marcus J., what is the ceiling for Texas a and How bright is their future? Man, it's a good question. It was obviously a signature win for Jimbo Fisher there beating – Beating Florida at Kyle Field. Florida obviously had taken the league by storm the first two weeks. Everybody's talking about Kyle Trask. Everybody's talking uh, about Kyle Pitts. They're just sort of this offense that that's sort of buzzing and AM popped their balloon. Uh, so it was a big win for Jimbo Fisher, who I thought had, had really started to show some fatigue in terms of this isn't going to be as easy as I thought it was. I'm tired of being asked these questions. I'm tired of my salary being held over my head. I thought he had outwardly started to show some of those frustrations. Um, that's just my sense of reading his body language. Even after the game, he sort of like exhaled a little bit. It looked like a little pressure came off his shoulders. But what are the expectations? Of, I don't know, guys. Um, would you be shocked to learn that Texas A&M has only had two 10-win seasons since 1998? Two since 1998. Um, they went 11 and three in, in 98. And in, obviously we all remember, remember the Johnny Manziel 11 and two season in 2012. It's one of those jobs where you look at it. There's no reason they shouldn't be successful. They recruit the state of Texas. And we all know how many players are in the state of Texas, how much the game of football means in the state of Texas, uh, how, how good the, the high school programs are in the state of Texas. We know the facilities that Texas A&M has. We know the resources, i.e. money, that Texas A&M has. So they, they have everything that, that you need to be great. You have to have a culture, one. I think you have, a, you have to have a culture around your program and in your state where football means a lot. They check that box. They got the resources. They check that bar, box. And they can recruit. They check that box. There's no reason why they shouldn't be winning more. So what's, you know, how bright is their future? It should be really bright. But then I look at the history. You can't ignore that. And only two 10-win seasons since 1998. Uh, I think this is a year they could, with the SEC West, sort of, with LSU stepping back. I don't think Auburn's all that dominant and very good this year. But we are seeing a little – Ole Miss looks like they're going to be tough to beat. So, I think it's a year that, that Texas A&M can finish high in, in the conference, in, in their side of the division. But overall, they should be – they should be competing for the West every year, and we're just not there yet. Um, guys, I, you know I cover Alabama, and 
I wrote this after the game Saturday night that it was one of those games, and Alabama didn't have a ton of them, but it was one of those games that felt like a loss after a win just because of how poorly the defense played. And Alabama, if, if they're used to playing poorly on one side of the ball historically, um, you know, relatively it's offense, not being able to keep up with the defense. Because I sort of believe in this thing around college football that throughout your program's history, you, you're sort of def- – you have something that defines you by your play, right? Um, I think if you look at Florida, Florida fans like to win a certain way. I mean, when, when they were really rolling – with Steve Spurrier, they were an offensive team, so that's sort of become it becomes ingrained in your the heritage of your program. And I think for Alabama, it's great defense. And so I think to some extent, Alabama fans can live with a an offense that's consistent but not elite, as long as the defense is elite. And now we've seen a complete role reversal. I think the offense is the elite of the elite, and the defense is just good. And Saturday night, as I wrote, they weren't even good. They were really, really bad. And so I think that's where it is with this Alabama program right now because they have aspirations of a national championship. And let me tell you, the defense that, that, that we saw ain't winning a national championship because Alabama is not going to outscore teams like they did on Saturday night. They're not going to score every time they touch the ball. Ole Miss is just that bad on defense. But there will come a defense that will stand between Alabama and a national championship that, that will actually put up a fight and Alabama won't be able to put up 60-something points or 50-something points or maybe even 40-something points. So I think I think that's why Alabama fans are, are reacting the way they are. And I think when you look at it, and I've been told this story before, and I'm not going to get too specific on it, but I think Nick Saban needs to, to make his defense less complicated. You know, there's a famous sort of anecdote I've been told back in 2017 Remember when Alabama was running through all those injuries at linebacker? I mean, they were just beat up. They got to that Mississippi State game. They couldn't stop the run. And the story I was told that I believe to be true is that Jeremy Pruitt basically had enough self-confidence, enough belief in his ability and his standing in that program and on that staff, he sort of stood up to Nick Saban and said, we can't run this sort of system anymore. Just We need to – I hate to say dumb it down, but we need to dial it back in terms of the complexity. Let the guys just go make plays. You know, let's not make them think so much. And I think that sometimes Nick Saban's pride, he's a perfectionist. He wants it done a certain way. But right now, it looks like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. There's, this is no hyperbole. They look absolutely lost. They're, they're not playing with any confidence, which, which makes you play what? If you're not playing with confidence, you're timid, which makes you a half step slow. They're thinking too much, which also makes you a half step slow. I, I just think right now, that defense needs some confidence. I think less thinking, more play. And that probably goes against everything Nick Saban would say, but I think it would help them. I think the defense is just too complex right now. Offense was great. Obviously, Mac Jones has announced himself as a legitimate Heisman Trophy contender. Who would have believed that uh, earlier this year? But back-to-back 400-yard games, um, and he's in complete control of his game. I'm really curious to see how he handles the Georgia presser. Because he's been a calm, cool, collected customer in that pocket. I mean, he's been a surgeon. He's been dicing you up. So Georgia will will definitely test him, but he's been great. Uh, How about 35 points or more for the 15 consecutive game? Alabama tied a college football record with Oregon 
on Saturday. They have scored 35 or more points in 15 consecutive games. They got their work cut out for them if they're going to if they're going to own that record outright because uh, Georgia's legitimate defense. So something to watch as um, as as you're going forward that uh, that Alabama's out for history, offensive history on Saturday night against Georgia. See if they can own that record that, that they right now share with Oregon. Hey, coming up on Football and Grits on Wednesday, you got David Ubbin and Josh Kendall. They'll take you inside the SEC East. Thanks for listening to uh, the subscriber participation portion of the podcast, Football and Grits. I'll catch you guys next week.